0: Okay, with that, let's pray. We're looking at Mark chapter 4, verse 21. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. I thank you for your word. I I thank you uh, for the unfolding story of Mark. Lord, he uh, really kind of whips through the gospel uh, account, and and there's so much um, in each little paragraph, Lord, that I I ask that you would help us to take in all uh, that is before us, Father, we pray, Lord, that you would help us uh, cultivate the soil of our hearts, that we would be receptive to the word. Uh, Lord, we um, are are just grateful that you move in such a way that you reach out to us, you have revealed yourself to us, Um, you are patient towards us, and you are um, relentless in your pursuit of us. And so we ask that you would give us ears to hear today. Uh, we ask that your word would penetrate deep into our minds and hearts and that we would uh, be transformed in knowing you. Uh, we love you, Lord, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, Mark chapter 4, verse 21. <clears throat> and he was saying to them, a lamp is not brought to be put under a basket, is it? Or under a bed? Is it not brought to be put on the lampstand? For nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor is anything been secret, but that it would come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he was saying to them, Take care what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you, and more will be given you besides." For whoever has, to him more shall be given. And whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. And he was saying, the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. And he goes to bed at night and gets up by day. And the seed sprouts and grows. How? He himself does not know. The soil produces crops by itself. First the blade, then the head. Then the mature grain in the head. But when the crop permits, he immediately puts the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, how shall we picture the kingdom of God? Or by what parable shall we present it? It is like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the soil, though it is smaller than all the other seeds that are upon the soil, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger then all the pl- garden plants and forms large branches so that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. With many such parables, he was speaking the word to them so far as they were able to hear it. And he did not speak to them without a parable, but he was explaining everything privately to his own disciples. Uh, Father, we do again. Thank you for your word. We ask that you would guide us now. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. So, I should have looked at how long ago it was, but about t- maybe two months ago, my, my dad's ears have been growing worse and, and worse and worse. And, and uh, he had hearing aids, and, and I've, you know, s- slowly with his early on not early onset, but he's in the early stages of Alzheimer's, and so I've, you know, we have this dance going on of, of slowly where I'm becoming the parent, and... and trying to figure out that line of where, you know, his, his freedom is. I'm trying to give him as much freedom, and, and, and so I haven't always been involved in, like, every little detail, so I have most of the big doctor's appointments, but, you know, going to the dentist, he can get there on the shuttle, and his eye doctor, he was getting there by the shuttle, and the ears, he was going there by the shuttle, and so he sent me an email like two months ago and he said, hey, my ears are growing worse and my hearing aids are like, they're out of warranty and they want me to buy new ones and it's ridiculous how expensive they are. And, and, and I'm like, well, how much are they? And he gave some number that didn't sound right to me. And, and so he's like, so I don't, he didn't want to deal with it, but at the same time he wanted me to do something about it, but he also didn't want me to do anything about it because he didn't want to trouble me. So I was like, oh, dad, you're not helping me here. And so then I like snooped through his email, not snooped, I'm monitoring his email, and, and I figured out the ear doctor that he went to. And so I called them up, and I say, hey, that, like, I'm Gunner, and my dad's Dick, and, and I wasn't there, and can you explain to me what you recommended? And the lady was like, oh, yeah, um, let, me, let me call you back, we'll have the head person call you back, and she'll explain everything, and, and she did, it wasn't what my dad thought, and he'd misheard or misunderstood or both. And so then I made the executive decision and said, hey, dad, we're going to go down to the place. And he's like, well, where are we going? I'm like, you know, the place. And he's like, how did you find out? I'm like, I just knew, you know, like I, you know. <laughs> parents know these things. He's now referring to himself as my fifth child. And, and so we go down there and we got the new hearing aids and it was like his eyes are white. He's like, you don't have to yell at me. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. So I've had to like, figure out that I don't have to yell at my dad so he can hear me. And so over the last few months, he's like, oh, this is, like, this is wonderful. This is the best thing ever. I don't know why I was so resistant to this. I can, I can hear when people are talking to me. This is great. And the, the reason I bring this up is today's text is all about hearing. And so often our ears are bad and we're not uh, in tune spiritually to that. <laughs> which God is seeking to convey to us. Um, before we dive in, um, a, a little bit of the bigger picture to show us where today's text fits in the context of this, of this passage, because Mark, as he's unfolding the story, there was a huge shift. R- really, the last week that I preached, or around there, I think it was the last week, um, at the end of chapter three, we saw the unpardonable sin, And what had happened, the religious leaders had come, they had confronted Jesus, and essentially what they said is, the things that you're doing, we're not denying the the miraculous. What we're saying, though, is the things that you're doing, it's actually the work of Satan. And that's when Jesus said, this is the unpardonable sin. To uh, to to accredit the Spirit's work to that of Satan is, is unpardonable. And sort of sandwiched in it, on the outer ends of that, we see his family coming down from Nazareth, basically saying, he's lost his mind, he's gone crazy, we're trying to gather him up, bring him home, put him in a room that's padded, and, and so he's embarrassing our family name, we're going to try to shut him up. And Jesus sort of ends the sort of, who, who are my mother and brothers and sisters? It's those that... Uh, that do the will of God. And so at that moment, there's like this seismic shift in in the gospel of Mark. He had been teaching openly to the people up to this point, but now that they have rejected him and started condemning him as the work that he was doing was of Satan, he began to teach in parables. And so in chapter four, we see uh, the, the parable of the soil. Um, today we see... Um, three more parables that sort of tie back into the parable of the soil. And as we continue, we'll see that Jesus' style of teaching is really to use parables. And it's, it's to, uh, to limit those that don't know God from hearing new information. And for those that have spiritual ears, that they're, uh, they're able to understand what's being said. Um, uh, So two weeks ago, you guys covered the parable of the soils. Um, We saw four different soils. They had different conditions and and receptiveness to the seed, which is the word of God, and how the seed flourished or didn't flourish within each of the soils. After he taught with this parable, his disciples are like, Jesus, we don't understand. And in verse 13... This is what Jesus says. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all of the parables? And so the the parable of the soil seems to be sort of like the the master filter or the master key to understanding the other parables. Like all of the other parables are thought to tie into this parable, specifically the three that we're going to look at today. Uh, We see the lamp. We're going to see the growing seed, and we're going to see the mustard seed. There's no explanation given in the text. The, the parables are given, and they make total sense if you understand the, the longer parable because it's the sort of the master key that helps us understand. Um, one commentator says this about these three parables because there are many who say, oh, these, these three are Marxist kind of like, randomly throwing parables in. There is absolutely nothing random about anything in the Bible that it's spirit inspired and and God used the human authors to specifically place each thing and each story in its place for a reason. And sort of coming back against those that say, oh, all of these are just random. They don't tie into each other. He says this, uh, Mark brings these parables Together, to reinforce the main parable of the soils, these stories drive home the need for the response of faith to God's revealed word. And so back to the hearing. Um, I think I want to zoom you in to the the, the crux of the whole of this passage. Um, The phrase that you should highlight, you should circle, you should understand what. Mark is recording of Jesus. The thrust is in verse 24. In the phrase, he says, take care of what you listen to. Um, Luke 8.18, which is the parallel passage, he puts it this way. So take care how you listen. Um, just to give you a quick overview, let's, let's uh, look at the whole of this chapter so that you see the the word to hear or listen it starts out in verse 3 as the first parable is introduced. He says, listen to this. So listen. Verse 9, and he was saying, he who has ears to hear, let them hear. Verse 12, so that while seeing They may see and not perceive, and while hearing, they may hear and not understand. So there we have hearing again. Shifting down to verse 20. And those are the ones who the seed was sown on the good soil, and that they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30, 60, and 100-fold. Verse 23, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Skipping down to verse 33. With many such parables, he was speaking the word to them so far as they were able to hear it. I, um, n- not in my notes, but it's hard not to, to make this observation that somebody once told me, you know, Br- Brian's like spitting distance. Um, he's in the splash zone. We, we all know Brian. And we know about his ears and, and w- how we're praying and that, you know, he welded his ears. Um, m- months ago, somebody made the observation about Brian that I thought was the, probably one that was the um, greatest compliment that you could pay an individual. And they basically said, Brian's like the deafest guy I know, but his ears of his heart are so in tune with the voice of God. And I think that that he's a perfect illustration. Sorry to put you on the spot. I just kind of came. But I I think that he's the picture of of what Jesus is trying to convey to us. He's not talking about our literal ears. He's talking about our spiritual ears of our heart, that we would hear what God is saying to us um, and that we would respond. Okay, let's walk through the passage, verse 21. And he was saying to them, A lamp is not brought to be put under a basket, is it? Or a bed? Is it not brought to be put on the lampstand? Uh, this is uh, pr- pretty common sense, right? You've noticed where all of the lights are in this room. As high as possible. I- if we had put them like down in the corners, under the chairs, it'd be, it-, it would be worthless. Um, most, you walk through the whole building, all the lights are up high. Why is that? So that light can shine down. Um, uh, this-, this seems to be pretty common sense. Um, there's in the original language, I don't want to bore or to, to, to put off that. Like, I noticed that I'm like, such a Greek scholar that I noticed this. But those that are, that I've read, they point out in the Greek text that there are a few um, interesting ways that the text is laid out that makes translating this verse difficult namely in the Greek text, the lamp has a definite article. The, the lamp is almost personified. And so there are many, many scholarly uh, textual commentators that say that, that they hold that the lamp that's being spoken of here is Jesus. And without reading too much in the text, sort of making the text say maybe something that it doesn't say, I do think Jesus himself referred to himself as a light. John eight twelve. he says, Then Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so whether or not the original language makes the case, I do think within Scripture, Jesus makes the case clearly that he's the light of the world. And he didn't come into the world to be hidden, shoved in a corner. Uh, He came to be the light of the world, to expose darkness. He says, for nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been secret that it would not come to light. And so following this parable out, he shifts from like, okay, you have a little lamp in Israel. When we, you go to the Nazareth village, they give you a little clay pot with a little wick in it that you put oil in. That, that's the lamp that we're talking about. You would light it up. You would put it up somewhere high so that it could uh, cast its light down. You would not put it under uh, a wicker basket for a number of reasons. It would hide the light. It would catch on fire. It would, like, a lot of bad things would happen. You wouldn't light a light so you could see and then shove it under your bed. That would be useless. But then suddenly he starts talking about, for nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been secret that it would come to light. And I think the point here is that there's nothing you're hiding from God. You might think you're getting away with stuff. You might think you're pulling the wool over his eyes. Or you certainly could be our eyes or your people around you, likely not. He's saying everything's going to be exposed. There's no... There's no sense in trying to hide your sin from God. Throughout the New Testament, I I see this, sort of the idea, it's better to settle with God out of court than it is to settle with him in court. And he's trying to offer us olive branches. He's trying to offer us this, hey, I've paid for it all. All that that sin you're trying to hide from me, I've paid for it. I'm offering you to be transformed. I'm offering you renewed life, uh, cleansing you to the innermost, part of who you are in your conscience. And yet we run often like cockroaches to the light. Verse 23, if anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. And he was saying to them, take care of what you listen to. This is the key. Take care of what you listen to. Like what are the, what are the voices that you're listening to? Are you even aware of... The voices that are speaking to you, that have set your culture, um, so so much of our worldview and what we think and believe is so ingrained at us in us from from an early age that we're sort of ignorant um, to, to the subtle voices or maybe the obvious voices. Um, I'll never forget, kind of. Early in my Christian life, um, like, arguing with some of those new Christian friends that I had that were sort of challenging me. And God bless them for challenging me. Like, I, like I, I, I'm really great. I was ticked off at them at the time. But I, but I remember um, they were really challenging me on the kind of music I listened to. And, I, you know, I grew up kind of listening to punk music and not all the lyrics are the best. But I couldn't find, like, a Christian um, uh, equivalent. Uh, Then I found the supertones, and that kind of helped me out. And, you know, I wanted, like, something to work out to. And and, uh, so I was arguing, debating, and then I I caught myself saying, I don't listen to the words. And really, that's kind of true, because, like, even animal, like, I don't hear half the words that are said in songs, like, even, like, Christian songs. I just, like... My, my ears aren't in tune with uh, sounds. and uh, But I caught myself one day with the lyrics of a band, No Effects, that had pretty, like, just vulgar stuff. And I, it was like the Spirit of God just, like, sh- like, now I was not fighting with Christian friends. Now I was fighting with God. And so, you know, I find that I'm dating myself more and more, but CDs, we still use CDs, and, and I had all of these CDs, and it's like, what was I going to do with the CDs? And first I thought, well, it'd be so, like, waste not, want not, I should just give them to friends, you know? <laughs> like, and then I was, uh, like, I kind of, not that I was hearing God's voice audibly, but it was like, Gunnar, that's not what I'm asking you to do, yeah, and because I was feeling like convicted well, if I'm getting rid of this cuz I don't think it's good why would I pass it on to my buddy and and so I remember there was a Christian bookstore and I sat out there with my little case at the trash can people are walking in the Christian store and snapping each CD and put it in the trash can because I knew that these voices suddenly God had reached me to the level that I was convicted that the voices I was listening to weren't helping me in music But have you ever been convicted by maybe something that the media is telling you, TV, movies, your peers, your music? There there is a spiritual battle for your mind. God wants your mind. Romans 12.2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And there are voices, the world, the media, the news, every which way, trying to dump stuff into your brain that goes counter-cultural or counter-biblical. And God's saying, hear my voice, hear my voice, put my word into you. Allow me to be the voice that you hear. And so often we ignore that voice or we just totally rebelliously walk away from that voice not like knowing but saying I'm just going to be disobedient and I would rather listen to this because that's what I want to do because that's what we two-year-olds do, you know. (laughs) Um, (coughs) I'm speaking to myself, not just, you know. Um, Then he goes on and says, missing here? Uh, by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you, and more will be given to you. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken from him. Now, this isn't like the prosperity gospel. This isn't like. Uh, the, what this is talking about is your spiritual capacity. That's the context. And I'm not a computer programmer, but I did computer programming long enough to learn the phrase garbage in equals garbage out. Meaning if you put garbage in, that's what's going to come out. I don't know what the opposite is. I mean, fruits and vegetables and spinach. I don't, like a, a Good coding, I guess, equals good code out. But, but it's the idea that put in, do your, do your Bible reading, pray, Be in church, even when you don't feel like being in church. Um, Continue moving forward. Take steps towards Jesus. And as you step towards Jesus, you're going to grow. And and, and you're going to move forward, and it's going to progress, and you don't know how this fruit will manifest itself down the road. Um, Galatians 6-7 says this, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. And I think that what Jesus is saying is keep moving forward. As you uh, commit to giving yourself of the Lord and growing in the things of the Lord, that will be multiplied. And even if you have very little and you don't, uh, the phrase use it or lose it comes to mind. That if you, when you were a child, your parents invested in you and you had a little bit of something, but then you go the rest of your life, you're going to lose whatever you have. So I have some thoughts on this section. So as I look at this first parable, there seems that there's an individual responsibility to respond to the light, kind of dovetailing from that, that first parable that, that I desire. I can't speak for you I desire to have a good soil that, we're, that God's word and his spirit can flourish in my life. And, and so there's this individual responsibility to respond to the light. Um, Ephesians 1.13 talks to the church in Ephesus and, it, and Paul says, You, after hearing the gospel that Jesus died for you, he sacrificed his, himself for your debt, that you might respond to him so that you could have life. And so there's this there's this individual responsibility to the light, which then bleeds out into the responsibility that once you've responded to the light, now you have like you've dipped your little wicket into his light, and now you have his light, and then there's a responsibility to do something with that light, and so there's this this obligation to the church, which the church isn't this building or the organization. The church is the people, like the church is the collectiveness of the people. If this building for, I don't know, like something happened, and we say, hey, we gotta meet in somewhere else, the church is still gathering if the people are there. And so Ephesians 3.10 says this, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church, so that as we've received the light, we're not to bury it, hide it underground, we have have this individual but together collective responsibility to be the light of God. The world, like, the, to reflect His light, um, and, and it's fulfilled in us. I, I think it's beautiful. Like when he, when Henry's like, you know, he approached me about this Wednesday. He's like, "Well, I don't want to put the church out there, and I don't want to like, it's gonna like, you know, nobody likes the development or whatever." And I'm like, I don't care. Like, I don't care if the church. Like, regardless of what the Valley Center community does, this church is gonna. My prayer is that this church would be here for as long as humans are in Valley Center, and so. You know you individually might not like something that happens in the town, and you might leave the town. but my prayers at Grace Point Church would remain, regardless of what the community looks like, and so I think it 's an absolutely biblical and wonderful idea to meet on Wednesday to go down there and like one side like there 's still a little boy in me that like that like there's a little John Johnston in me that never got out. Like, (laughs) never, like, like, there's like a bunch of Tonka trucks out there that are like bigger than life size that are doing all sorts of stuff that I have no idea what they're doing. And I wouldn't even know how to like start one up and do like what, but there's something about seeing what they're doing that's fascinating. And now I'm distracted. Like, I'm thinking about those Tonka (laughs) trucks. But, but people are coming. Th- that will be our community. 10, 20, 30 years down the road. Like another 50 years. How, like that will be a part. And, and what I see in scripture is that we want to pray for our leaders. Pray for the people that are coming. How, how can we be the light of Christ in that plot of land that used to be dairy cows? I don't know. That's why we're going to pray. Um. I don't know where your life takes you day in and day out, but wherever day in and day out is, that's where you're to be the light as a part of the church. So now he's going to get into the sower. Verses 26 through 29 is where it ends. This parable is unique to Mark. It's not in any of the other gospels. And so we read, and he was saying, the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. And he goes to bed at night, and he gets up by day, and the seed sprouts and grows. How, he himself does not know. The soil produces crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. But when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And so, this the picture behind me, this is like, This is how they did their agricultural work. You go to the Central Valley today, and they, you know, they they use the machines that plow perfectly straight lines. I remember when we went up to Visalia about three or four weeks ago. We're driving through the valley, and Grace is like, "I like it. This is symmetrical." I'm like, "There's my OCD Like, everything's like straight, square. I really, I really like it." I'm like, "I like the valley too." And it's like you're not. We're not moving to the vet. Like we're not coming for symmetricalness. To, and and uh, but then they just had like a bag, and they would walk, and they would just throw the seed out, and where it came up, it would come up. And and uh, I, I remember a, a few years ago, Penny. I know I saw Penny. She's right there. Penny came in with this bag of stuff. She's like, "You want some sort of flowers?" I'm like, "Yeah." I'm like, "What do I do?" She's like. Just, no, it was a peanut butter can. It was like a Skippy peanut butter can filled with seeds. She's like, first rain, take those out, scatter them over your bank, and just watch what happens. I did it. Birds came. (laughs) It was dirt for a long time. And then about the time I forgot that I had done it, all of a sudden there's like yellow flowers started spreading up all over the place. What are they called? African daisies started sprouting up. I'm like, where did these things come from? It's like, oh, Penny gave me a jar of seeds. I scattered them. I went to sleep. Totally forgot about them. Have no idea how it worked. I mean, we know about seeds. Like, you know you plant them in ground, you add water, sunlight, and something happens. But it's a miracle. Like, it's we can tell you the what, but we can't explain the what. Like, how, how did God do this? And, and that's basically what he's saying. The sower goes and he casts the seed. He goes to sleep, and next thing you know, what'd you know? There's a little sprout. So now I'm throwing seeds on our bank, and it's like now, like, Ellie and I are like, oh, let's do poppies. So now we see, like, a little sprout. It's like, what'd you do? Nothing. I just threw them out there. <laughs> They're not as, like, orderly as I'd like them to be. But he says he watches them go. And, and when it's time, he gets out the sickle and he begins to like harvest the, the, the crop. The, the, there's some that will say, because they see the word sickle, they're like, oh, this has to do with revelation and the judgment. See, there, there's no evidence that there's any sort of intention of this parable being uh, sort of looking to Jesus' judgment. This, the, this parable is kind of like the cousin of the parable in verses 1 through 20. And in verses 1 through 20, the focus is on the soil, the four different types of soil. This parable, the soil is not in view. Everything is totally and completely about the power of the seed, the, the word of God. Um, it's kind of like Isaiah 55.11 that says God's word will not return void. And there's, there's somehow you scatter the seed and all of a sudden it's going to grow. It's going to do his work. It's powerful. Um, the word of God has an ability to, to penetrate when you least expect it. You could put in all your hard work and studying and you go, I don't know why I'm doing this. And maybe it's 40, down years, 40 years down the road, something happens. Um, I... I've been slowly reading a book that Lindsey Gray has uh, recommended before the girls went to Africa, and it's called The Insanity of God. And so this guy basically is trying to start a church in Mogadishu, like when Mogadishu became famous, like during a war. And then he started to do a study on the persecuted church, and. One of the pieces of the story that really had a profound impact on me is he interviewed this pastor in, in Russia that spent most of his adult life in prison for being a pastor. And in this interview, he asked him, like, how, how did you endure? And he, he said, uh, you know, there are two things that I did that were my spiritual disciplines. And so I'm like reading going, you know, like, where's he going? And I'm a slow reader, so like it's really taken the intensity to build. <laughs> and, and, uh, and so the guy says, the two things that I did, as soon as I got to prison, every day in the morning, he would stand at his jail cell, he'd lift his hands to the sky, and he would sing whatever spiritual song he could come up with. Like, he's writing his own worship. Apparently these songs are really famous in, in uh, the Soviet bloc now. Um, but he would sing at the top of his lungs and people that were his neighboring cellmates would, would throw fecal matter at him, would heckle, would scream as loud as they could. And he said, I stood and I, every morning as I woke up and I just sang as loud as I could sing. And then he said, the second thing I did, whenever I uh, acquired uh, any sort of paper and something that I could write with, I would sit down and I would write as much Bible as I could remember. I would just write it out on the paper front and back and then I'd find a little crack and I'd stick it in my, my jail cell and I would just put it there. So for the rest of his, for, for his like 10 or however many years he was there, he sang his song and he, tri- he recalled Bible that he had in his heart. You can't recall Bible that's in your heart if it's not in your heart to start with. And I don't think this guy had any idea of that he would be pulling from this. And the same author interviewed a bunch of like college-age kids in the Soviet bloc that went through the same persecution, and, and he, I, I, now the details in my brain are getting blurry, so just enjoy the story. And, and, uh, but he put them together, and the test was like, hey, recreate the Gospels from memory. And, and these handful of teenagers were able to recreate all four of the Gospels vir- virtually perfectly, and he was like, I can't imagine going back to the United States and asking a bunch of teenagers to put him in a room and to re- recreate all four of the Gospels. And it was really convicting to him. So my, 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 what's my point here? My point is the power of the word. So we do our sowing. We trust God for the increase. And, and that's, that's exactly what he's encouraging them to do. You, you, sow, you sow the seed that the word is powerful. And if you do your work to put it into your heart or to put it out there for other people, you, you trust God for the increase. I, I think this is one of the reasons why I'm so convicted that what we do Sunday mornings is we go through books of the Bible. This isn't Gunner picks a topic. It's like we're going to do Mark and we're going to cover it. We're going to, we're just going to go line by line, um, Sometimes it's rough, like sometimes we do Daniel and Revelation, sometimes we do Hebrews, sometimes we do Ecclesiastes, these difficult books, that there are times midway through it's like, what did I get myself into? And Anna's like, I don't know what you were thinking, you know, to really uh, encourage me in the midst of it. But we trust that as we do the work, God's word is powerful and he'll do stuff with it that we can't possibly imagine, which Um, I don't want to move on yet. So we have the two parables that are kind of building. We have the lamp. That if you've received the light of God, then you put the lamp out. You don't hide the lamp. You don't hide Jesus. Like the sower, you sow. You, you sow seed. You um, Because at the very end of the lamp, uh, we, we talk about the... Um, for whoever has, to, to him more shall be given. Whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away. So you do your work, you labor in the word, and then you trust God for the increase. And so then that's the second parable, that as he scatters, he doesn't know what it's going to do, but the power of the seed or the word is innately powerful, and it will do what it was intended to do, whether or not you see it working. Um, it reminds me of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're not going to read it. The first nine verses, Paul's dealing with all of the problems in the Corinthian church. And he says, you guys are saying you're of Apollos, you're of Paul, you're of this. And he's like, Paul, I, I planted Apollos water, but who gave the increase? God gave the increase. So Paul says we do our work, but really it's God that's doing the work, and that's not, that's not on us. We're, we're passive agents according to, to the second parable, the, the sower just kind of did what he did, but really the work was done by the seed or by God. And so we're encouraged to be faithful and to trust God for the results. Which moves us into the third parable of this section, which is about the mustard seed. Now before we get into the mustard seed, just a few things. A bunch of skeptics will say, oh, the mustard, there's much smaller seeds out there than the He's not writing as like a, you know, for farming during that time, the smallest seed that they functionally used the common house was a mustard seed. (laughs) Like, there might be smaller seeds out there, but that's not, don't. The the focus is something small becomes big. And so we'll just leave it at that. Um, And he said, "How how shall we picture the kingdom of God or by what parable shall we present it? It is like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the soil though it is smaller than all of the other seeds that are upon the soil, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all of the garden plants and forms lar- large branches so that the birds of the air can, cast, can nest under its shade. He's quoting from Daniel chapter four, the big dream that uh, Nebuchadnezzar had. That it's, it's, a, it's a different situation, but that's where that, that quote's coming from. He's saying it's, it's, it's small Goes big. Uh, Apparently the mustard plant, it would get as large as 15 feet high by like six feet wide. It it was very large. I think of the mustard plant weed that we get. If you don't cut them down quickly, they will overtake you. Um, I think this parable, there's a bunch of different, I think you can get into a bunch of different things. And I think it loses the context. I think at its most basic premise, we have to remember those that received this parable to begin with. The first century believers, their reality was extreme persecution. All of the apostles, except for two, you have Judas that hung himself, you have the other 11 that were killed for their faith. You have the Apostle John, who they tried to execute but failed. Just kind of worse. And then you have all of their followers. Like the, the church was under extreme persecution, and martyrdom was just everyday practice. So you have extreme discouragement, extreme like doubts of like, is this like. Is what Jesus said real? And I I think at the heart of this is Jesus telling them, don't grow discouraged by what you see today. Like we went through Revelation, we went through Daniel, regardless of all of the different opinions, everybody kind of agrees at the end God wins. And I think that he's saying it might look really rough, but I have this bigger picture of seeing what I'm doing. So don't don't grow burdened like God's not at work, no matter how bad you're suffering. And then in verse 33, it says, with many such parables, he was speaking the word of God to them for as far as they were able able to hear it. And he did not speak to them without a parable, but he was explaining everything privately to his disciples. So here we have the use of parables again that were told by, by Mark, and the other gospels sort of affirm that jesus after a certain point began to teach in parables because there's two groups there's the outsiders and the insiders and to the outsiders the parable it it it, it withheld information and to the insider they could get it i want you nothing more than to be an insider when you realize what Jesus did for you and you believe in him, we're told that you're uh, sealed by the Holy Spirit, that you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, and suddenly you're able to understand a language um, that, that you've like never understood. Um, I've, with my dad, I've been on this sort of, um, it's, it's kind of caused me to have to, you know, cut things that I normally had time for. And one of those things recently that I've re-started doing again that I hadn't been able to do for a while is go on ride-alongs with law enforcement in Escondido. And uh, so people always ask, well, do you wear a headset? I'm like, well, I didn't used to. But then some things happened. <laughs> and they're like, oh, like, like what? And I'm like, well, if you ever eat with a cop and you're out there? Like I've learned you just gotta scarf it, which really works well with my personality. Because like at any given moment something can come over the radio and you got to leave and and, and uh, but I was like well really for me the um, there were there were two calls years ago that I went on uh, the, the the one we pulled up at El Pollo Loco in Escondido at like midnight and we were like what look like a teenage girl in the car and I didn't have a radio and there's like four cops all around this girl and I'm like. So then my thumbs come. Man, that polio loca smells really good right now. Like I don't know what's going on. And then I'm just sitting there, like not really. I'm like this is a teenage girl. She's totally like harmless. Then all of a sudden I hear all the guys do this. Unholster their guns. And I'm like, what just happened? And, I, and I'm like, hey guys, can somebody like, I'm gonna just go stand over here and you guys sort it out. I have. So from that moment I've made it a point to wear a radio. And we're in a radio, you can suddenly hear, because like, there's radio waves going around us, but you can't hear them with your fleshly ears, but with spiritual ears, you can hear. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, the Apostle Paul writes, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. I feel like that was me before I went on ride-alongs. I'm still like cops speaking their own language and I can get like 50% of the codes that go by. I've learned the important ones that mean like lunch is over, we got to go and that sort of thing. <laughs> and, uh, but then he continues and he says, but he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that He that that he, that he will instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. And I read that second part. And I think of that day that my dad got those new hearing aids And every day since he looks at me, he's like, Gunner, that was so great. I don't know how you came up with that idea to get a new hearing. I'm like, I don't know, Dad, it was pretty clever of me. <laughs> you know, like But he's like, I can hear and I can understand, and like the grandkids come and I can understand them. Jesus wants you to be able to hear what he's saying. And, and it begins like with you saying, Lord, I believe in what you did for me. And, it, and as long as you're actively resisting Jesus' uh, desire to like, get involved in your life and, and to transform you, you're not going to understand You're gonna go to church, you're gonna listen to messages, you're gonna hang out with Christians, and you're gonna you're gonna be like me at El Pollo Loco in the spiritual sense. Everybody else is like grabbing their guns and holding their ear, like and you're like, What are you talking about? Like what, you know, like "I, I don't understand. Suddenly you give your life to Christ. The word of God makes different sense. That The voices that are speaking into you suddenly sound different. The, the movies that you thought were really funny movies, suddenly are like, that's really not, that's really not that good. Like, I had some of my old favorite movies that, like, when I, ended, I got married, I'm like, oh, I got to teach you American culture. But these movies I was watching, it was before I was a Christian, and it was like, uh, okay, I didn't realize how bad that was. Suddenly you hear differently. You think differently. The Word of God penetrates deep within so that you are transformed by the Word of God so that you can do what Jesus is telling us to do in verse 24. Take care of what you listen to. Let's pray. So, Father, we do thank you that you stepped into the human world, this world that we know as Creator. that you stepped in as the light of the world, that you would expose darkness, that you would expose our sin. And Father, I pray for those in this room that maybe have heard you, but have rejected you, Lord, that you would shine brightly to the point that they would respond to the gift that you're offering them, that they would be able to hear you so often, um, before knowing you, Lord, I, I believe things about you that weren't biblical, that were basically lies of the evil one, that there was this caricature of who you actually are. And so, Father, I pray for those that have been resisting you, that you would remove these barriers in their life so that they could hear you and understand you clearly. Father, for those of us who have responded to you, and that we have your spirit we ask lord that you would um, help us to bear good fruit help us to cultivate our soil in a way that your spirit would move in our lives Um, we want you to be in control of our lives Uh, we thank you for your word we thank you for the power that it contains and so father we look to you for guidance in our lives um, Lord, as we look around this world, it's easy to get discouraged and to think that uh, Christianity is a thing of the past like we see in Europe. But we ask, Lord, that you would help us not to lose heart and that we would continue in our faithfulness of walking with you, uh, trusting you for the outcome. We love you, Lord. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen.